Hello, everyone. We're back in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And we're asking you the question, asking myself the question, are you ready to listen to Jesus? Let me start reading. I'm going to backtrack just a little by starting with uh, John chapter 4, verse 13, and I'm reading to verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks this water, or drinks of this water, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman says unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, You have well said that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. In this you said truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, literally God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto you am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seek you, or why talk you with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Okay, we'll stop our reading there. And point out the fact that as soon as this conversation started, which was back in chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, um, the Samaritan woman was distracted. Her shock that a Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan woman, caused her to not address the simple request for water. Her focus on the history and the heritage of Jacob's well sidetracked her from discussing the gift of God and the living water that was offered to her. Finally, she asked for the living water that only Jesus can give her. And now we see Jesus doesn't reach into any well. 
He puts nothing to her lips, but he proceeds to discuss an important area in her life. He asked about her husband. The woman honestly stated that she had no husband. Then Jesus told her of her marital history, which involved five husbands, and then commented that she was living with a man that is not her husband. It appears that getting living water from Jesus will require some confrontation with God's truth and our ways of thinking and living. In uh, John 3, 1 through 21, uh, Jesus confronted a master teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, with the truth that we need to be born again. In Matthew 19, 16 through 22, Jesus will later confront a wealthy man concerning his attachment to his wealth and to his possessions. The truths about the new birth, the living water, eternal life, are not mere academic subjects. They are designed to transform us and give us a dynamic personal relationship with God. But but people have a way of diverting these truths with other topics, and often they are religious topics. So when you look in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, the Samaritan woman next confessed her thought that Jesus was a prophet and then began to ask questions about differing places of worship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now Jesus redirected the questions. He wasn't going to talk about places. He wasn't going to talk about <clears throat> Jew and Samaritan traditions or forms. But he's going to talk about worship. And he explained her need and everyone's need to worship God personally in their heart and mind. The need to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, you might notice there in verse 22, uh, as he's telling her that the Samaritans really don't know what they're doing in their worship, but that the, the Jews do, because salvation is of the Jews. That, that's a curious statement. Salvation is of the Jews does not mean that you have to be a Jew to be saved, but it means that all that pertains to our salvation, all that provides our salvation, has come to us through the Jews or or through Israel, and namely the Scriptures and the Savior himself the Messiah. Okay, verses 25 through 29, the Samaritan woman began to postpone the subject now. He, he, Jesus is getting right to the point, and she tries to postpone the subject until some unknown future date, which has to do with the coming of the Messiah. And I might point out that it's our nature to postpone important decisions to some other place and some other time and I dare say some other way, but Jesus, the one who is standing before her. But Jesus pushed the issue to a conclusion. He simply said that he was the Messiah. Instantly, this woman believed, forsook her water pot, and ran back to town to tell others. And what happens there is actually up for our next discussion, but we do need to consider what we've just learned. Let's learn how meandering discussions on social and religious issues can turn into a conversion experience. It is 
not how clever, not how forceful people speak. It is not about winning arguments or proving our points. Uh, Jesus had a way of hedging some of her questions to get to a, a more important subject. He was on task. You see, it's about people coming to a realization that they know God, not man, is dealing with them. Jesus spoke in such a way that all of her other questions and arguments didn't matter. Jesus, the Messiah, was talking to her. Now, have you ever had the experience of knowing in your heart that God is talking to you? Uh, I'm not uh, suggesting you seek an experience where you hear voices or see visions. But when the scriptures become something inside here talking to you, when the truth of those scriptures is uh, a silent voice is pressing upon you, and you, you know it's getting personal. Well, this usually happens during or after a time that the truth of Scripture has been presented to you. This is when you will do business with God. This woman quit offering questions and just put her pot down and ran off because she suddenly believed, and as I hope to explain a little better here, she believed because it was revealed to her inner self. Okay, I'm going to... Hop around for a few scriptures here. John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It is the spirit that quickens. Now, quicken is a, is a word that means something is brought to life. Okay, the spirit makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus says, they are spirit and they are life. Now, I'm going backwards a little bit here, but I thought this passage would make it more clear in uh, concerning John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, where Jesus says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Well, actually, I, I jumped to verse 25 here, but, but let's, since I'm there, get to the point, is the voice of the Son of God is that inner voice talking to our inner selves when the gospel is preached or has been preached and, and something's going on here where, where the Spirit of Christ is talking to people who are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Our receiver to God has been unplugged and through the new birth it gets plugged in. So let me back up now, verse 24 of John 5. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now verse 25 again. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. I want you to think about Lazarus. Uh, we'll talk about him in future studies, I hope. In John 11, Lazarus passed away. Jesus came to his tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, a man wrapped in burial cloths, he's been dead for four days, come hopping out. So this is what uh, would picture the gospel 
being spoken to people who are spiritually dead, spiritually unplugged from really understanding God's things. And when the Spirit of the Lord works, they get ears to hear, eyes to see, and that inner voice is talking to their inner self. Okay, uh, let's check out First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. And that would be uh, chapter 1. Slow turning here, sorry. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Okay. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Okay, verse 5 is the, the, the key punch here. And after they uh, received this word, which is not mere words, it was words that came with power, power from the Holy Spirit. It says there in verse 6 that they became followers. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Paul's making something very clear here. It wasn't just our talking. It wasn't how accurate we were, how smart we were, how forceful we were. Uh, it was about the Holy Spirit working while we were talking. This is uh, further clarified in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually or effectively works also in you the believe. Yes, that same spirit of Christ that was opening up the heart of the woman at the well, and we could uh, we could mention other people whose hearts the Lord opened, like like Lydia in the book of Acts. But that spirit speaks to us today, and it makes a life and death difference. It brings life. It brings transformation. Well, let's uh, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Whoops. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened. There's that word again. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And now we skip down to, to verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. And it goes on to say here you, that he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Physically, we're still here, but now there's a part of us that presides and, and resides with God. We're in his presence. We have him dwelling within us, and in some wonderful way, our minds and hearts can get right to heaven in those heavenly places in fellowship with Christ. And that's, that's what you get to do when you read your Bible and pray. You can do it alone. You can do it with others, but you can have a communion with God that is so real. It's like you're somewhere else. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't know how many times I 
grab the wrong bookmarker here, and, and now 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I get to read. Verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, I, I could go to more and more references like this, but the, these, I think, are making our point. Is the other disciples were sent away. There would have been more distraction, a whole bunch of Jewish men and, and questions. Why are you talking to, the, to this woman? And he just sent them away on an errand so he could have this appointment that he created with this woman, have this conversation. And we see her dodging and hedging, but eventually comes the revelation. And that's the point, that Christianity is not a philosophy to debate. It's a revelation, something God must give to you. Oh, we have many things to teach, and we, we can debate those who uh, try to deny the gospel, but conversion is going to come when God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, reveals himself to an individual inside, in their heart, in their mind. Okay, we, we are to share the gospel in our testimony. We must try to answer people's reasonable questions, but ultimately God himself must, must reveal the truth to a human heart. Salvation will not come to a person through the persistent arguments of people. If you want to do business for the Lord, depend on his spirit to lead you and to empower you as you share his word, to reveal that Christ himself will reveal himself to others through us. That's, that's our desire. Now, if you're on the other end, the receiving end, and if, if, if just know this, if Jesus is coming for you, resisting or deflecting the conviction of his word will not stop him. Some people uh, act like they're in one of those chase scenes uh, in some movie where the person is trying to run and then they throw things behind them and the person chasing them is, will trip or stumble or fall or something like that. They're trying to slow them down or stop them. And uh, some people, I think, try to do that to the Lord. They throw excuses and uh, different questions and, and changing the subject. But <clears throat> Jesus doesn't trip stumble or fall. Um, as a matter of fact, if, um, if Jesus is after you, he will catch you. And that's good news. Whether you know it or not today, getting caught by Jesus is a good thing, a great thing. You don't want to get caught in the future when your life is over and face him as your judge. You want him now when he actually wants to be your advocate. He wants to be the one who will pay your price for you, be a substitute for the penalty of your sins, be your advocate who will plead your case before the Father, and, and he, he wins every case. And so you, you want that. Now, now some wrap-up questions. Uh, are you trying to run from Jesus or avoid him? Are you trying to persuade people to follow Jesus using mere logic and wisdom and willpower? 
Well, may we let go and let Jesus have his way in our lives and through our lives. We'll talk more about what happened back at the, the Samaritan woman's town next time we meet. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us Jesus and the word and that his spirit is working even today to touch people's lives, change people's hearts and minds. And we uh, can be tools in your hand, Father, but we are not the surgeons. We are not the ones that can change people's minds and hearts. It is you, you only that can reveal yourself and dispel all people's arguments and, and all their distractions. And uh, we need to work in your power, your way, Lord, depending on you. Uh, please uh, give us uh, your heart and mind on this matter. May you keep speaking to us and grant faith where it's needed right now. I ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you very much.